This presentation has been previously broadcast. Well, let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. It's Monday, and boy, did I have a weekend. It was interesting. Yeah, most of my weekends are interesting these days now that I'm retired. And You know, oh, let's pray, and I'll get into talking about these things in, in, uh, in the readings and in Mass Hysteria, because I, I really think priests should go to church. I mean, you know, we don't go to church. We offer the Holy Sacrifice, the Mass, an inestimable privilege. But it's been kind of interesting to go to church sometimes and you know, so let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. By that same Spirit, may we have right judgment in all things, and evermore rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him. We humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the womb of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, all right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. You know the one, the Bible. Okay, uh, let's go to the first reading, which has all those fun names in it. Um, this is this is kind of interesting. Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Say that five times. Um, well, first, let's start with Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim. Uh, uh, the name... Uh, uh, Jehoiakim means raised up by the Lord. That's what it, you know, it's interesting. All names have meanings. Uh, for instance, Simon, which is, an, it means it's an Old Testament, uh, uh, word, uh, Hebrew word, Shema'an, which means hear my, my complaint. <laughs> uh, most appropriate. And Richard, it means, uh, a, a harsh ruler. Um, some of my parishioners thought that, but word names have meanings almost invariably, unless we've made them up. Um, <laughs> uh, right. I'm not going to, but Nebuchadnezzar, very interesting name. The word Nebuchadnezzar, which was probably, uh, pronounced, uh, Nabukudurishur, which means, uh, Nabu, the god Nabu. It's, it's, Nabu was a god. Uh, the patron god of literacy, the rational arts and scribes for the Babylonians. So you're asking, uh, Nebu, uh, watch over my heir. That's what it means. I you can't make this stuff up. Uh, and this is Nebuchadnezzar the Great that's talked about in the reading. And he lived eh, around 600 BC. Uh, 600 BC. Well, he died 562 BC. So there you go. Let's, uh, move along here to something more, well, beneficial um okay we got then uh um uh, uh 
you know, I didn't look up Ashpenaz. I'm not going to bother looking up Ashpenaz. That's just uh, going too far. Well, let's go up to the the men of Judah who are are you know the 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 Chaldeans or the Chaldeans as they prefer to be called are essentially well southern Iraqi Christians identify themselves as as Chaldeans. Um, and they're closely related to the Assyrians and speak the uh, dialect of the same language. And, uh, but they tend to be Catholic, Unite uh, uh, Catholic. So you got your, your, your Chaldeans. So that's who they are. Um, and the men of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And those are interesting names. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. When you see that, yeah, that's God's nickname. Mishael is the same as Michael, who is like God. And Azariah means the Lord is my help. El, when you see that E-L ending on a, a Hebrew word or a Hebrew name, it means God. Um, I think I've shared this with you. It's just kind of interesting. God, the word God, is not God's name. Y-H-W-H is God's name. And it is amplified in the name Jesus, which is Yah, which is God's nickname, as I said, is in Hananiah, Yahshua, the Lord. And we, we, when we see, uh, whenever you see in the text of Scripture the word Lord and it's capitalized uh, or, or specially designated in the Old Testament, it means YHWH, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Yah is that kind of short form, Alleluia, which means praise the Lord, praise the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, YHWH. And Yahshua means the Lord saves. So we know something more about God, not just that he's the cause of being. And YHWH probably is related to the word creator it, it, or being. It, 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 it may mean the cause of being. Uh, and uh, uh, we know more about him that he creates, he saves. Yahshua. So uh, um, uh, those names have meaning. Uh, but as I was saying, the word God, when you think about it, it's it's a job description. It's an Indo-European word that probably is derived from the word meaning the one to whom prayers are addressed. Uh, in uh, Mediterranean languages, uh, Greek, which is not closely related to Latin, but oddly enough, they, they the word for God in those languages is similar. Or in French, Dieu, or in, in Spanish, Portuguese, Dios, in Italian, Dio, these words all come from the an Indo-European word meaning the shining one. And El is a Semitic word. It's related to the word Allah, which is just the word for God in Arabic languages. And Arabic Christians talk about Allah. Uh, that is not God's name. Uh, it is a designation. And it means the one who is above, El. So there you go. Those uh, words have meanings, which, of course, I love to talk about. Well, let's go further on. Uh, Daniel was resolved not to defile himself with the king's food or wine. What was defiled about the king's wine? It wasn't kosher. They, they didn't slaughter it properly. They didn't restrict themselves to, to uh, uh, certain meats. You know, a, a Jew will not eat uh, pork. A Jew will not eat all sorts of birds of prey. Uh, a Jew will not, if they're following kosher law, kashrut. Uh, there are lots of things that a Jew, won't eat. a Jew won't eat any seafood that does not have um, 
I believe it's fins and gills and scales. Uh, for instance, a catfish doesn't have scales. I can't eat catfish. Um, the carp, which, which is made gefilte fish, which is, I always describe as aquatic spam, but that's, that's, uh, going, that's, let's, let's go back to the topic. They will not eat shrimp and lobster or crab if they're, if they're being orthodox, uh, if they're following kashrut, kosher law. So they were, all vegetables are kosher. And very interestingly, only wine made by, bottled by, and opened by a Jew is kosher, unless heat is used in the process. Anything made of grape, be it grape juice, be it wine, be it wine, be it brandy, which is made out of grapes, it's not kosher because they worry that it has been offered in some way to pagan gods. All other spirits, which come from grain, such as vodka or bourbon or beer, these are automatically kosher. So in case you want to know, you know, so they were, they were, all vegetables are kosher. So they would eat nothing but vegetables. And, you know, the, the steward said, the, the, the chief chamberlain said, you're going to lose weight and be miserable and skinny. And they, Daniel said, give us 10 days. And their faithfulness to God um, rewarded them. But when you think about it, what is all this business about God and eating? I mean, think about it. Um, why is God so interested in what we eat? Well, he's interested in our freedom. You follow? I, I've shared this before. Why do we fast? Or why do we abstain from certain things? Uh, for us Christians, no food is forbidden, though the eating of food for Catholics at certain times and in certain situations is limited, but not forbidden. There is no single food that is forbidden to a Catholic Christian to eat. Um, we abstain from meat on Fridays uh, during Lent. It's, it's required and it's recommended on other Fridays. Uh, we are, we are encouraged to fast during Lent and Advent, believe it or not. We used to be, it used to be a fasting season and that's a good thing to do. The, um, uh, why do we do that? Well, it's an exercise in freedom. The devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And, uh, I love the way, um, C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters treats that verse. He doesn't mention that verse directly, but he, he, he deals with it by saying the devil looks at the human vermin or the, 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 the enemy, meaning God in the Screwtape Letters, looks at the human vermin as potential sons and lovers. We look at them, we the demons, look at them as, as cattle, as food prepared for the table, the stronger will devouring the weaker. And that's why we fast. It's an exercise in freedom. It, you know, most people think if I fast and I'm miserable, God will feel bad for me and give me what I want. Amen. That's not how God works. No, we fast as a part of spiritual warfare. That's why we do this, that we might be free. Uh, and and uh, 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 you look at the context of fasting, that fasting is about spiritual warfare in the Bible. That, that uh, it's an exercise in my freedom. I, I could eat that cake. I'm not going to, though. Nope, because uh, I'm free. 
if I can say no to myself, I can certainly say no to you or to, to, to sin and to the devil when it comes along. So fasting is an exercise in freedom. This is why God is so interested in what we eat, because eating is one of the great pleasures of human life, and it is created by God as a pleasure, as a legitimate pleasure. It is also created by God as a legitimate way to gain our freedom. So that I think that's interesting. Well, let's go to the... Uh, Oh, this is really great stuff, this this next reading. The uh, very short reading, but um, when Jesus, this is Luke, the 12th chapter, the 21st verse and following. When Jesus looked up, he saw wealthy people putting their offerings into the treasury, and he noticed a poor widow putting in two small coins. How would Jesus know that? How would he know? Well, because there were different um, collection boxes in the, in the temple. Uh, I actually looked this up. I'm going to have to pull it up on my little... Am I on one of my many computers? All right, here we go. Um, in the temple, in the court of the women, uh, there was, uh, it was not that large a court. It was 200 square feet, the, the, the central part of it. And in the area just past that 200 feet, there was a colonnade. And there were 13 collection boxes that were called trumpets. Because they looked like a trumpet upside down. The, the, the top was small in the bottom. The, 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 you would put your offering in the top. And of course, fundraising being what it is, they, they gave you lots of opportunities to, uh, to, uh, fill it up. So there were different, different, uh, um, um, boxes that were for different purposes. Uh, trumpets one and two were for the half shekel temple tribute, um, and then uh, there was trumpet three, and this was for the offering of turtle doves uh, as a burnt offering or a sin offering. And in other words, um, you know, you don't have to bring us a turtle dove; you can just bring us the money, <laughs> and uh, we'll buy the turtle doves and uh, we'll offer them. So that's what would happen. Um, they they would uh, uh, empty the box every day in trumpet number three, and um, they would then buy count the money out and buy as many turtle doves as it would buy and offer the turtle doves on the altar. Um, well, uh, temple uh, uh, trumpet four was also uh, for young pigeons. Uh, Trumpet five was for uh, the wood used for the sacrifices. Trumpet six was for incense. Trumpet seven was for gold vessels. Uh, trumpets nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and thirteen were destined for what was left over from the trespass offering. So you could kind of guess um, uh, the the um, the amount of money by which trumpet was it was going in, in which collection box they were putting it. Uh, and, you know, money and religion, yeah, keeping the temple in good shape, it costs money. And, uh, you know, we see a lot about collections, but I, you know, I'm thinking about this and uh, money and religion have caused great upset over the, over the centuries. Um, however, I think it is very important to keep it in perspective, to understand that, yeah, God, everything I own belongs to God. Where does he want me to put it? How does he want me to use it? I belong to God. Remember, I, I tell you about the parable of the, the talents that, uh, lo and behold, um, 
uh, it seems just wrong that the one who had just one talent had to give it to the one who had ten. Well, not only were the amounts of gold and silver, uh, or gold or silver, the property of the master, so were the three slaves. And when you think of it, the guy who had ten talents was put over ten villages. In other words, what was his reward? He got more work. What was the punishment of the slave who uh, uh, made no money? He was put out of the house. In other words, he was given his freedom, which was not always a good thing. He might starve as a free man in the ancient world. So we have to have that perspective ourselves that we belong to the Lord. So does everything we have. What does he want us to do with it? He wants us to get a good education for our kids, to go on the occasional decent vacation with the kids. I mean, God is a very gracious um, <laughs> slave owner and he loves us. So I, I think that's important to keep that perspective. And, you know, I'm thinking back on, I, maybe I'm speaking to people who are in the business of religion these days uh, and fundraising. You do the work and the money comes. I, I will never forget. I was pastor for 20 years of a very poor parish. We had a school. We had a clothing room, a soup kitchen, a food pantry. Uh, um, our bills were over a million a year. Our collections were 70000 And we were on no direct operating grant from the archdiocese. We were we benefited by the Big Shoulders program. God bless them. We had some very generous sharing programs. Um uh, I wish I could claim responsibility for it, but it was all in place when I got there. I just had the privilege of, of being part of it. You know, I, it's not my fault that these things happen. I just, as I say, had the, the great privilege of being part of it. Doing the corporal works of mercy was as easy as getting out of bed in that neighborhood. Very poor neighborhood. But that said, um, I remember reading... Uh, something by Watchman Nee, who was a Chinese Presbyterian, who essentially was martyred by the, the Chinese communists many years ago. And he wasn't very pro-Catholic. <laughs> but other than that, he was an interesting author. And I remember reading in one of his books, isn't it interesting what a tool for discernment money is? And I thought, oh, yeah, this is going to be great prosperity gospel. But then he went on and he said, so many people say, if you had enough money, you could do great things for God. The opposite is true. Do great things for God, and God provides the money. And I remember I had a someone who worked for me who who became very seriously ill and had to go home to Colorado to uh, because of, back to his family because he was so ill. And um, as he walked out the door, uh, he got this faraway look on his face, and he prophesied, and he said, "You know, you'll never have to worry about money." And uh, I've worried about money a lot as a pastor, but I never had to. I remember once uh, when I was first at that parish, and there was just no money. We got a bill for $12,000 for something. And I literally took the bill, and I went over to church, and I knelt down in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I said, you just got a bill for $12,000. And I went back over to the rectory, and the secretary said, a check for uh, for $14,000 has just come. And I, I took the check back over to uh, knelt down in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I said, thank you, but what are the extra $2,000 for? I mean, it was that close run of thing. And we always finished in the black. Uh, and I don't know that it was entirely supernatural. I think it was supernatural. But it was it was because of the generosity of people. And they could come to that church and they could feed a poor person any day of the week, be it in the soup kitchen or the food pantry. And... and um, uh, I mean, we, we worked at fundraising, but but 
people were amazingly generous and God was amazingly faithful. And, uh, you know, that, that when Jesus says this about the poor widow putting in two small coins, you know, the widow's might that she's given more from her poverty. You know, I, I would get uh, checks in the mail for five bucks from some dear retired person. Um, and I always sent him a letter back <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, it was, um, and I think that uh, if nothing else, it taught me, if you do the work, God will send the money. It's not the other way around. If you have the money, you can do the work. And, uh, you know, it is very, very naive to think that, that, that somehow religion and money shouldn't mix. They have to. How do you keep the roof on the building? And uh, buildings on which to have roofs. Jesus himself was maintained by some pious women, and Judas was the treasurer. Um, we read about the collections in, in St. Paul, and, uh, you know, that, that um, money is important, it, just as food is important. It's about who we are that that uh do we are we generous are we are we uh, uh are we uh, self-disciplined food and money and sex and all these things are about who we are and that's why god is so interested in them and the church gets involved and so often we try to do these things or judge these things by a very human and very sinful criterion and that's not and it doesn't work the way we raise funds and the way we uh love one another and the food we eat it isn't the way the world does it and the world's motivations are not ours but the lord has given us these things uh, to draw us closer to him and uh, just some thoughts on that let's go to good old well let's go to a break we'll come back with mass hysteria i have a lot of things i gotta get off my chest mass hysteria wise Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. I really like this song. It's a nice waltz. <laughs> I wonder if the Council Fathers ever thought waltz would become a, a, a genre of liturgical music. But I do. I love that song. Uh, uh, but again, I, I, you know, in this, in this whole diatribe that I've been on for a couple months now, I'm not anti-him. And I really believe an exit hymn and an entrance hymn and maybe a hymn after communion, they're great. But you don't sing mass, you know, the old four hymns and a mass. That's not the way to do it. Um, but well, that said, let's go to mass hysteria. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Well, I, I had an interesting weekend. I did the funeral of someone of whom I'm very fond. God bless him. He's a few years older than I, but a, a parishioner. And, uh, you know, I, it's, but it was interesting. I mean, it was, it was a very beautiful funeral. Um, they were very fine people, but I realized it was the first time I'd said mass with a congregation in almost five months. You know, I retired, uh, I think, uh, July 1st uh, from the pastorate. 
and uh, I say Mass every day privately, and uh, I, I uh, can celebrate Mass on the weekend. Usually, it's a pretty small group in a in a chapel, and uh, but I haven't been the celebrant of a Mass in close to five months, and I am embarrassed to say I I celebrated the Mass, and I realized how much I performed during Mass. I realized how much I performed during Mass. Me who am saying mass is not an entertainment. I'm worried about, you know, I kept tapping the mic because I didn't think my, my mic was working. Who cares if my mic is working? I'm talking to God. In the old mass, that was there were three tones in the old mass. There was audible, semi-audible, and inaudible. And there are still a few prayers that are said inaudibly in the mass that are supposed to be said so that no one can hear. Why would you do that? Why Why shouldn't people hear? Because... You're talking to God, and God's got very good hearing. But I can't hear the prayer. God can. You see, that's the perspective of the Mass. And I, I just noticed, I was so, I mean, it was Mass, turned toward the people, and uh, um, there was, uh, it was mostly recited, but it was, it was, I, I was just, I'd never realized how much I am aware of being on for certain things that the congregation needs. My prayer is maybe 75% directed at God when I say the Mass. It's 25% at least. Can they hear me? Did I say that right? If I got the right prayer? Oh, dear. I, and I started the, 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 the prayers of the faithful, and the deacon nudged me and said, there are people doing that. I mean, you know, that's just, I remember a horror story of, of um, I, I started, the, I was at, I think, another funeral. This was years ago. And... There was someone who was fuming because I did the prayers of the faithful. No one had told me that there was someone to do them. And I had stolen her thunder. How dare I? She had all these, you know, the prayers of the faithful are really the sermonettes of the liturgist. Have you noticed that? That, that the prayers of the faithful are not usually prayers. They're little mini sermons that the poor may be helped by our generosity and that those of us who are selfish and mean and nasty will stop being selfish and mean and nasty and give to the poor. Let us pray to the Lord. That's not a prayer. That's a sermon. Um, the, the, those those are, are, are um, you know, they're, they're sermonettes. And, and uh, you know, I, I had stolen the woman's thunder because I, I, she couldn't give her five sermons. Um, you know, and I just, I just realized yesterday that, you know, I really think it is, like I said a few days ago, that, that uh, it is um, almost impossible uh, uh, to say the Mass reverently when you're facing the people unless you are very pious and your congregation is very pious. Father, can't hear you. Well, in the sermon, that's a legitimate thing to say. The rest of the Mass, mind your own business, I'm talking to God. That's not the attitude with which we say Mass. It is invariably, and that includes me, a performance. All right, let us go to letters. Before we go to letters, though, I did want to mention, uh, before we jump in, I want to mention that, uh, you know, we, we've got something new going on at uh, 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 the... Um, uh, at, at relevant radio oh that thing relevant radio uh called the merry beggars uh that that um uh we're 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 offering a new audio advent calendar daily episodes of charles dickens a christmas carol that's really cool uh it's uh it's going to start on friday uh well it did start already on the 11 uh 
Uh, no, it didn't. When does it start? When does it start? I don't see when it starts. Well, it's going to be starting soon. Go to go to the website. Go to the app, and you'll get information on uh, on. Oh, it's going to start uh, on December first, all the way to the twenty fifth. That sounds really cool. Uh, the Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, recited by our own Mary Beggars, and that—that's a neat thing. Well, okay, we're going to go to letters. You know, I got a cup. There we go. There's the letters again. Uh, I got, I got uh, two letters about uh, actually the same text of scripture. How can we respond to someone who says all matters, all that matters is being a good person? I'm reminded of a saint who said, "In the end, we will be judged." I think it was St. John of the Cross. He said, in the end, we will be questioned about love. Um, uh, you know, well, I just have to be loving. You know, I have to be loving. I love everyone, except, of course, the neighbor, because he dumps his leaves on my driveway. But I love everyone, except, oh, the guy down the street with the dogs. Oh, he makes me cry. But I love everyone. Uh, oh, except that guy in the grocery store. You know, he's handling all the produce, and he's filthy. You love everyone? What is love? To will the good of everyone. Love, remember, the word in love for scripture is agape. That, that it means sacrificial love. It doesn't mean feeling good about people. It means being willing to sacrifice for them. And when I look at love, and I look at Christ on the cross, and realize that love is defined by Christ on the cross, I wonder if I have ever truly and deeply and fully loved anyone, including God. Really? I mean, yes, all you have to do is love. And without grace, I don't know that I could love anyone. And very similarly, so so yeah, that that um, yeah, all you all you all you need to do is is to love. In other words, to give your life for other people. <laughs> so if someone says to you, John, ah, I'm a good person. Are you sure about that? And that brings us to another letter uh, that um, uh, I got a letter from uh, from another John uh, uh, who says, uh, could you help me uh, understand why Jesus says, why do you call me good? You know, Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Jesus isn't saying, don't call me good, I'm not God. He's saying, have you recognized who I am? Why do you call me good? I think that that's a very important question. Why do we call him good? Because he's good in himself or because he's good for what what he can do for me? This guy comes up to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He didn't say, what must I do to please God? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? In other words, he's saying, you don't know the good. Like in the last letter, the, the guy says, all you have to do is be good. You don't know the good. That, that Jesus is challenging this guy. Do you know what good is? So um, to love God for himself is different than to love God because of what he can do for me. So that's kind of the way I look at both of those questions. So there you go. Um, let's see here. Um uh, let's see here. I got lots and lots of letters. This is an interesting one. Uh, well, they're all interesting, but this is from Steve and it's about, um, um, he's noticing some threads in what I'm saying. I've said that God's greatest gift is not what he gives, but what he takes away. I'm the vine, you're the vine dresser, those the vine dresser that, uh, uh, 
I'm the vine, you are the branches, my father's the vine dresser. Those branches that don't bear fruit, what's fruit? Galatians, the fifth chapter, love, peace, patience, joy, all that. That's what being fruitful is in Christ. He's going to chop off the branches that don't bear fruit. And he's going to trim back the branches that do, that they might bear more fruit. In other words, anything that is keeping me from the character of Christ is going to get lopped off. Um, so then he ends with... Um, uh, um, well, he talks about the Michelangelo quote, you know, that Michelangelo would see saints and angels and prophets in the marble, and he would just chip away anything that wasn't the saint or the angel. And God is just taking away that which is superfluous. So God in his mercy works to chisel away um, those things that we don't really need. And and I need to hear that as much as anybody. Uh, and he burns things off in the refiner's fire. So, Steve from Raleigh, thanks. Uh, this is uh, um, uh, this is this is those are good things to hear. All right, let's see here. I think I can do one more letter. Oh, this is this is very interesting. Oh, let me do a couple more letters. I think I can do that. Um, this is from some. This is from Alice, who who talks about she feels she has a Jewish soul. I mean, you know, she's really intrigued by the relationship of uh, of. Uh, um, Judaism and Christianity. And, you know, I maintain people talk about our Jewish roots. We don't have Jewish roots. Judaism and Christianity share roots in the religion of Israel and the temple. That's what I maintain. That, that, um, and I got that from Rabbi Lefkowitz. Uh, the Rabbi Lefkowitz said, you Catholics, you're more Jewish than we are. You got temples and sacrifices and incense and holy water. We don't have that stuff. It's just the moral, uh, uh, content of the Torah that's important to us. The moral ethical content. And I always want to say, Rabbi, are we reading the same Bible? <laughs> Every page drips with sacrificial blood. We have the moral and ethical content of Judaism, but Catholicism maintains the sacrificial order. We believe we are the temple renewed. And to someone who wants to make the faith more Jewish, I would say, you're wasting your time. Because it, if you understand it, it's more Jewish in certain sense than Judaism. Uh, that That we maintain... Uh, the sacrificial order, whereas modern Judaism does not. Uh, we share so much with Jewish people, but we have retained some things that have been lost in, in Judaism So uh, uh, with the destruction of the temple. So we believe that Jesus fulfilled the Messianic expectation in his... Um, uh, in his becoming the body, the, the new temple, the, the temple of his body into which we're incorporated. So if you want to make the faith more Jewish, be a better Catholic. It works. And we have a great debt to them, but um, I think that's important to understand. All right, let us go to a break, and we will come back uh, and open the phones at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And we will, um, uh, we will come on, brain. We will have the word of the day. So, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. I've got plenty to be thankful for. I haven't got a great big yacht to sail from shore to shore. Still, I've got plenty to be thankful. <laughs> oh, who'd want it anyway? <laughs> you know what they say about 
but it's a hole hole in the water you throw money in who'd want a yacht but we should be thankful yacht or not all right that said let us go to uh let us go to uh um where are we going ah we're going to uh, the word of the day the word of the day of course we get from the reading and they translate it here as um uh, he noticed a poor widow putting in two small coins. Well, the word in Greek is lepton, which kind of, it can mean skinny <laughs> or leftover. Uh, um, that, that it's, it's something very, it's, I think one lepton could buy three grapes. That was, I looked it up. It's, I think 192 leptons. Uh, I think that that composed a day's wage. So it was at minimum wage. So it was about 50 cents. This poor widow put 50 cents in, uh, to the, the treasury. And, um, uh, very interestingly, uh, on the Shroud of Turin, there are possibly two coins over the eyes. I remember talking to, uh, uh, had a great privilege of talking to, why can't I, Barry Schwartz, who was the photographer, at the Shroud of Turin conference. I talked to him for quite a while, and he really feels that that's doubtful um, because the resolution uh, that you'd need to find that lepton is so great. I don't know if he's changed his mind on that. He's a brilliant man and uh, very devoted. But my old, one of my old Greek and Latin teachers, Father Francis Phylus of Notre Dame University, very interestingly insisted that that was a lepton of Pontius Pilate on the a man of the... Shroud, and he said, "You can see the words, the letters for uh, uh, Caesar spelled with a C." And they said, "You're not Philus because Caesar in Greek is spelled with a K." He said, "Well, everybody knew that that Pontius Pilate was a thief and a bad. He made very bad uh, coinage." And he said, "I'll I'll find some coins with the misprint." So he went down to Marshall Fields in Chicago and found in their coin department not one but two leptons with the misprint. Uh, that he claimed was on the Shroud of Turin, spelling Caesar with a K, or with a C instead of a K. In other words, the Shroud of Turin predicted that they would find coins that were misspelled. And um, one of the coins had so many points of congruence with the supposed coin on the eye of the Shroud that it had to have come from the same coin press. In other words, the the Shroud of Turin is dated by the coins on the eyes, if there are coins on the eyes. And they were lepta which is the plural of lepton. So a lepton was the poor man. So over the eyes of Jesus uh, was the poor widow's, in a sense, the poor widow's contribution. Isn't that interesting? She put two small coins, two lepta, and there were two lepta on the eyes of Jesus, quite possibly. I think that's cool, but you know me. All right, let's go to phone calls. My dear Wormwood, the is ringing. <laughs> my dear Wormwood, the phone is ringing. Oh, dear. <laughs> Who have we got, dear voice, in my head? Evangeline from Cerritos, California. Are with us, Evangeline? Beautiful name. Yes. What can I do for you, Evangeline? Thank, thank you, Father, for everything. Uh, good morning. And I really love the music you play. <laughs> Isn't it fun? Uh, my- <laughs> Yeah, they're very, they're very nice, Father, and it lifts you up. <laughs> well, good, good. That's, uh, it's, uh, I have to blame my producer. I have nothing to do with it. But what can I do for you, Father? In one of the Gospels, I don't know which one, but uh, on the resurrection, when Mary Magdalene uh, finally recognized Jesus, 
he was trying mm-hmm. to cling or touch him, and then he said, "No, don't do that." Mm-hmm. What, what, what did what did yes. Jesus mean? Mean. Well, you need to understand the grammar of it, that he said, don't keep touching me. That's what the word meant. He didn't say, don't touch me. Don't keep touching me, is what the text says in Greek. In other words, I, if I had seen someone I knew was dead, she was the foot of the cross, she knew he was dead, and there he is whole and entire and new, and she's just touching him. She says, stop touching me. Uh, I've not yet ascended to the Father. In other words, when I go to the Father, you can touch me, you'll touch me in Holy Communion. But go and tell my, my brethren I'm ready to see them. So that's what it was. Don't keep touching me. And that's, ex- I would have just stood there just poking him. To say, Are you real or am I having a, 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 a hallucination? That's what it meant. So I hope that helps. So, so why did he have to go to the father first before they could touch him? Because she said, well, he wanted to go and tell tell his brothers that he'd risen. And he said, don't, don't stand here touching me. You know, it wasn't, I don't want you to touch me, but I don't, don't stand here touching me. Go tell my brothers. Cause I would, as I, if I'd been her, I would have stood there all day. Uh, and, and the thing about going to the father that we touch him in holy communion. He was saying, you're going to get to touch me the rest of your life when you receive me in holy communion. So I think that's, that's the idea. So I hope that helps a little Evangeline. So God bless. Thanks for listening. Good, good, good. All right. Thank you. Who we got now? Dear voice in my head, Michael, are you with us? Michael? Yes. Um, Father, um, this is important. Um, this morning, I got in my car to go to the convenience store to get alcohol. And I said, um, before I started the car, Our Lady of the Waits, pray for me. I think it's a, I don't know. I'm abusing Mary. I love her very much. I wanted her to give me this mm-hmm. stone pack. Well, you got a problem, huh, Mike? Huh? You got a you have a drinking problem, huh, Michael? Yeah, big time. Yeah, big time. Well, we're going to stop. Everybody, I want you to stop what you're doing. We're going to pray for Michael. Lord, I ask you to bless Michael and redeem him from from the the slavery he's fallen into to alcohol. Lord, we thank you for all good gifts, but we ask you to deliver him from bondage to the devil. Give him freedom and lead him to the right places where he can he can be free of this 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 slavery to alcohol. And I pray for everyone in our, our listening audience who abuses alcohol or any other substance. We ask you to bless them and to bring them new life. And I pray especially for Michael. Let him know that, that you love him and you have a way out. Michael Go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Do it. Do it. Uh, it is the finest program that I know, and it is very much centered on God's perfect will. And, Michael, I will be praying for you. I really, really will. God bless you. And I know so many in our listening audience will be. Keep us posted. Let us know when, you're, when you've been delivered from, from, from slavery to alcohol. God bless you. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? Dolores from Phoenix. Are you with us, Dolores? Yes, Father. Father, I have a two-part 
question about mystics Mm -hmm. and mysticism. Uh, The first part is, uh, who, in your opinion, uh, are some of the greatest mystics in the history of the Catholic Church? And the second part is, what is mysticism? (laughs) The first question is easier to answer. Certainly, I would say uh, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas is one of the greatest mystics in the history of the Catholic Church. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, on his deathbed, he said, everything I've written, he had a re- well, he had a revelation not too long before he died, and he said, everything I've written is straw compared to what I've seen. So, and he stopped writing. Uh, and uh, oh. that's, uh, I would say, that's one of the great mystics in the Catholic tradition. And then I would say St. Paul, who was taken to heaven uh, uh, in his visions. So those were two of the great mystics. Now, what is mysticism? The word mystery is a Greek word that means secret. It doesn't mean, I don't know, the butler done it. That's how we use mystery. Something you don't know. Mystery is a secret. And there are certain people who perceive the secrets of God deeply by God's grace. So a mystic is one who perceives God's secrets by God's grace. And, uh, I'm about as mystic as a rock myself, thank God. <laughs> if I could see the world in which I'm living, I'd be terrified because it's surrounded with angels and demons and all that sort of thing. But uh, uh, there are certain people who, who have that privilege, not for their own amusement and entertainment. I think a lot of people get into mysticism, want to do so for their own entertainment. And I always say, sin is what's taken, grace is what's given. If God gives you a mystic, a mystical revelation, that's a gift. To seek it, why do that? We're called to live in this world simply and humbly, humbly to love God and to love our neighbor. So um, mysticism sounds interesting, but uh, it's it's um, mysticism is iffy because it's seeing the secret things of God. And I often think that I don't know that I want to know the secret things of God because the secret things of God have to do with you know, I mean, if you if you're gifted with that sight, you can see not only angels but devils. I remember a a, a friend of mine years ago who uh, got involved with the charismatic renewal, and he had never felt God present in his life. Uh, and he was amazed you could feel God present. And then he called me a few days later and he said, can you feel devils too? And I said, well, yeah, that's the drawback. So if God makes one a mystic, hallelujah. If God doesn't, mm, maybe not. Hope that helps a little. God bless. But I'd bank on St. Paul the Cross, or St. Paul and Thomas Aquinas. And there's a lot. And then, of course, Hildegard of Bingen. She was a great mystic. Oh, there are lots of mystics. St. Teresa the Little Flower. What a mystic. There are lots of them. So I hope that helps a little. Okay, who have we yes, got elsewise on the line? Oh, yeah, good. I don't. I thought you were gone. There you are still. Thank you. Good. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? Elaine, from from where? Oregon? Yes, Oregon City. Oh, Oregon City. Elaine, what can I do for you? Well, I, I subscribe to the blog, The Catholic Loop, and this morning I read this quote of the day that I had to share uh, related to oh. mass hysteria. And it's a, Twitter, <laughs> it's, from, it's a Twitter feed, and it says, I'm so sick of churches trying to modernize themselves as an attempt to attract young Catholics. Young Catholics want tradition, incense, stained glass, and chant. We don't want to feel like we're sitting in a rec center with a mediocre band playing in the background. (laughs) Yeah, you know, 
I, I think that that's actually quite true. They're looking to be rooted. Young people are looking to be rooted in, in something that isn't going to go away in a year. You know, you can't buy an iPhone without it becoming uh, an antique the minute you own it. I mean, we live in a world that is so full of change, and change is important. But constancy is important. So, C.S. Lewis, again in the Screw Tape Letter, says we are people who are who live in time who are destined for eternity. We need both change and we need stability. And the one area where stability, uh, <laughs> that can boast some stability, is the faith. Uh, and let's change it. No, let's not. It, let's let God do what God's going to do. That's a great quote. That's a great quote. So, uh, yeah, I... I I've met young people who say enough with the contemporary music that's really 60 years old. <laughs> that's funny. Well, thanks for calling. That's a really great quote. That's a really great quote. All right, dear voice in my head. I think we can take another call or two. Who have we got? Jordan from the from the cities, from the Twin Cities. You know, Minnesota, you say the cities, you know right what you mean. Eh? So, Jordan, <laughs> what can I do for you? Hi, Father Simon. I just had a... Hello. I don't know if you've uh, listened to Patrick Madrid, but a serious question for you. Uh, what do you think of Nebuchadnezzar as a baby name? <laughs> I think that I think that that child would have an interesting life. <laughs> That's what I think. Yes, yes. Patrick Madrid. I do listen to Patrick. Yes. I don't know quite how we weighed in on that, but... Uh, I would, I would prefer someone like Ashpenaz, frankly, but no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, every yes, time yes. I, we should be careful what we name our kids. Name, every time I come across the name in the Bible, I just feel bad for him, whoever named him. <laughs> yes. Well, it was a more common name in 600 years before Christ among the Babylonians. They probably call him just Nabu for short. So, well, at any rate, well, thanks for calling in. I'll have to find out what Patrick said about that. Uh, he's got a great show. He's he's fearless. I do enjoy the Madrid Patrick Madrid show. We got some good shows on Relevant Radio. A lot of fun. Well, thanks for calling in. Can we squeeze in one more short call? Lawrence from Union City. I just got a minute. What can I do for you, Lawrence? Uh, good morning, Father. I do have a question regarding... Uh, oh, Lawrence, yes. This mass, and I, I noticed that there were two chalices being taken out from the tabernacle before communion. And then the priest used the big, uh, the big chalice for the communicants. And the very last one, the last person, he uses the small chalice. I don't understand why. Hmm. Well, probably uh, the, the, it might have been uh, someone who had a gluten allergy and needed a low-gluten host. That can be done. Not a no-gluten, but very low-gluten. So that probably is why he used And they're not, it's not a chalice with the, with the host, and it's called a ciborium, which is an ancient word, uh, Roman word meaning bread holder. Chibum is bread, and a ciborium is a bread holder. So the little one would probably have been for someone who had a food allergy. So I hope that helps. Well, stay tuned, because Drew is coming up, and uh, I don't know anybody who's allergic to Drew. Certainly not. <laughs> 